our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that I and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and then by all of the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time." Now, what Paul has just delivered to the church of Corinth, of Corinth again was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, this, was a, this was what was considered to be the Apostles' Creed that they preached and they lived by. They memorized it. And this dating goes back to even somewhere as close as just a few months after the event of the resurrection. This is what they were spreading all throughout the land about Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And what Paul does here, He's saying, look, this is the gospel. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He died for your sins. He was buried, and he was risen again the third day. And if you don't believe me personally, I will tell you that, that Peter saw him, James saw him, all of the apostles saw him, plus there were over 500 brethren who saw Jesus walking around after he was put in the tomb. And yes, of course, he was seen by me as well. They were making a claim that Jesus was no longer dead. They made a claim that Jesus was dead on the cross. And when they pulled him off the cross, they put him in the tomb, he was dead. And three days later, the tomb was empty. And many witnesses are walking around saying that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. It's kind of a crazy thing to believe, isn't it? What do you think? How many of you have seen a dead man walking? Not, not figuratively speaking, I'm talking about someone who was in the grave and they got up and they walked around and said, hey, I was dead, but now I am here. It's one of those things that's kind of difficult to believe because it can't be explained by natural causes. It can't be explained by any other way except for a divine power that raised Jesus from the dead. Yes, we do live in a world where we have skeptics who kind of question this. And rightfully so, they put the burden of proof on our backs, do they not? We walk around claiming that Jesus is alive, correct? I believe it's, our, it's also our responsibility to be able to give an answer to the hope that is within us whenever we are asked. According to what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is, in within, that is within you. And we're to do that with meekness and fear. We have, to do it with, we have to be able to articulate what we truly believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to be able to deliver that. When once questioned, you've got to be able to answer that and give an answer with meekness and fear. 
I believe we have a responsibility to know and to understand how, to, how that goes about and how to deliver the gospel message according to what the Bible tells us. But not only that, I also believe that we have an obligation, a duty to answer the skeptics. Whenever they come at us with arguments against it, I believe that we have a duty to tear down those arguments that go against what God's Word says. And I believe, and we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In, no, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We claim that Jesus is risen. Many people will claim that there's no way that that's absolutely possible. And we have skeptics that will say, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe that. Here are some alternative theories to why people really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that we have an obligation to be able to meet those questions and to put those things down to rest. So the title of my sermon this morning is, Did Jesus Really Raise from the Dead? How many of you have ever pondered the question? How many of you ever doubted the possibility? How many of you don't feel comfortable raising your hands in church? (laughs) I want to tell you, I mean, this is one of those things that really you have to ponder. And I believe for us as Christians, if we're going to carry a message that Jesus has risen from the dead, I believe that we need to question ourselves to the very core of who we are in order to stand before the world with integrity. And that we have an understanding and a knowing that Jesus Christ truly did raise from the dead. Let's question that just a little bit this morning. When embarking on a discussion like this, it would be really nice if we had a starting point, wouldn't it? It'd be nice if we had a list of facts that were generally accepted by everybody concerning the resurrection and concerning Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice? Let's see. Where are we? Give me just a moment. Technical difficulties. We'll get there. But however, it would be nice if we had somebody who could compile the information. Well, we're in luck because there was a guy by the name of Gary Habermas. He is known as the authority on the, the events of the resurrection and during the time of Jesus. And what he did a few years back is he compiled the most comprehensive investigation to date on what scholars believe about the resurrection. He took over 1,400 of the most critically scholarly works on the resurrection that were written from the times of 1975 to 2003, and he compiled them in a book called The Risen Jesus and Future Hope. Now, Habermas, he reports that virtually all scholars across the board, now the things that we're going to be listing here, these are things that from across the board, from the very far left skeptic to the most conservative Bible-thumping Christian, this is what they believe about the facts of the resurrection. This is what they come to the table together and say, yes, we agree on all of these things. Are you eager to see what they are? You may be surprised to find out how much they are in our favor. We'll just read through them. Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. It is is an undisputable fact that Jesus Christ was real, he lived, and he was put to death by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. He was buried, most likely in a private tomb. So he wasn't like the others. They were usually thrown off and the dogs ate the bodies. He was actually embalmed and put into a tomb. This is what they agree upon. 
And soon after the disciples, they were discouraged, bereaved, and despondent, having lost all hope. Number four, Jesus' tomb was indeed found empty very soon after his burial. The disciples had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the resurrected Jesus. And due to these experiences, the disciples' lives were thoroughly transformed and they were even willing to die for what they believed. Number seven, the proclamation of the resurrection took place very early in the history of the church. Number eight, the disciples' public testimony and preaching of the resurrection took place in the very city of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and buried. Now, that's very important for us to understand. Now, why is that important? Well, the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus happened very, very early. So it's not a lie that it was made up years ago while people who were still alive and actually witnessed everything um, were able to say, no, that's not exactly the way it happened. No, they started preaching the resurrection very, very early. And they started preaching the resurrection in the very city where Jesus was put to death and laid in a tomb. That's very important for later. What number we, can you see? Okay, so we're, we're still good. The disciples' public testimony and preaching started in Jerusalem. Number nine, the gospel message is centered around the preaching of the death and resurrection. So this wasn't something they were just trying to throw in there with a bunch of information. The primary preaching of the disciples was that Jesus was once dead and he is alive. That was a central focus of the message. Number 10, James, <clears throat> number 10, James the very brother of Jesus, who was a skeptic, he was a non-believer. He did not believe that Jesus was, was the Messiah, but he was converted whenever he also believed that he had seen his brother who had risen from the dead. And number 11, just a few years later, Saul of Tarsus, known as the Apostle Paul, he became a believer. That Paul was a real historical figure who did, who did come to some kind of an experience, and he also believed that he saw the risen Jesus, and it changed his life and the world forever. Pretty good, pretty good list, isn't it? Now understand, that is the agreed upon facts from the far left to the far right, to the far, far left leaning atheist skeptic historian who looks at the works and looks at the historicity and, the, and is able to verify what the facts are. They say that these are indeed the facts. I know for you note takers, you're trying to get all of that. But whenever we post this sermon up on Facebook, I'll give you a link to all of my notes concerning this sermon. So just relax. We've got a lot of information. I'm not going to be able to go slow this morning, okay? We've got, we've got a lot to go through. But in light of these facts, we can see and we can have an understanding that the, that the Bible is not a legend. Legends are written usually hundreds of years after a certain person lives, and the legends come to, come, they come to existence after everyone who's actually able to witness the events has died, so there's nobody to contradict the stories. But we understand that the New Testament was written, written early, within two generations of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus and their contemporaries. So if they were trying to spread out lies, they would have been exposed really, really quick. So it's not a legend. And also, the New Testament is corroborated with several non-Christian writers. The New Testament lists 30 historical figures that have been conformed by outside sources from the New Testament. This is a very well-attested to, to truth that the New Testament is not a legend. It's not a lie either. The New Testament writers, they included their divergent testimonies, the embarrassing details about themselves, difficult and demanding sayings. 
They were very careful in distinguishing Jesus' sayings from their very own. They referenced facts and eyewitnesses that their readers could go and check out. They would have known, and they could have been easily exposed. And they actually encouraged their readers to go check out what they're actually telling them. That's what Paul was doing in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's saying, Jesus is alive. Go talk to the 500 witnesses. Some Some are dead, but many are still alive, and there's many eyewitnesses who can tell you the exact same thing that I am telling you. So it's not a lie. And these eyewitnesses, they were encouraged to do this. And the eyewitnesses that wrote down the New Testament, they were exposed to and they endured persecution, martyrdom, yet they, have come, yet they could have saved themselves by simply recanting their testimony and saying Jesus didn't raise from the dead. So if it was a lie, and they knew it was a lie, it was very unlikely that they would be willing to die for it. Many people will die for what they believe if they think it's true, but nobody will die for what they know is a lie. So it's very, very strong evidence that they had really seen Jesus raise from the dead. Here comes a question. Is the New Testament true? Does that mean that the New Testament is true? Have you ever thought about that question? How many of you are uncomfortable? How many of you don't know where Billy's going with this? (laughs) It's okay. The Bible can handle it, okay? The Bible can deal with this. Is the New Testament true? That's a good question that I think we should ask because we claim it to be true, do we not? I think it's good for us to be able to sit back and say, well, let's see if it really is true. I like to know that what I believe is absolutely true because I have been duped before. I believed in things that are not real. I believed in things that were lies. And when I come to find out what the truth about that is, I I didn't feel very well about it. So is the New Testament true? Does this mean that that it's true? Are all of the attested to facts, does that mean that the New Testament events are actually what happened? If most scholars agree in the 11 facts that we talked about before, and because the evidence shows that the New Testament was not a legend, it was not a lie, or even an embellishment, then we know beyond reasonable doubt that, yes, the New Testament writers were recording what they saw recording what they saw. But does that mean that all of the events in the New Testament are true? Not necessarily. How many of you are uncomfortable now? How many of you want to see here an answer? (laughs) All right, we're going to get to that. The skeptic still has one way out in this. The skeptic still has one way out, and it is this. The last possible out for the skeptic when it comes to these facts that we've just listed is that the disciples and the New Testament writers, they were simply deceived and they were wrong about what they think they saw. Reasonable enough, right? I think this is something that we really need to address. Because how would you answer the skeptic? Were you there? Were you an eyewitness? Does this absolutely make sense to anyone? Well, a lot of people have been willing to take on the fact that, yes, the disciples were all deceived. And they've come up with these alternative theories to try to answer the reason why they believe that they saw the resurrected Jesus. If we take a look at verse at, at number five, the fact that number five, what does that tell us? Even the scholars, they give them this way out. They leave this out for themselves. It says, the disciples had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. Okay, they're not actually saying that, in fact, Jesus did rise from the dead. Now, most of the scholars within that, um, within that compilement, they do believe that Jesus raised from the dead, but that's not what they're saying here, is that they're saying that for a fact, it is a fact that the disciples truly believed 
that they saw the resurrected Jesus. They're not necessarily saying that Jesus did, but the consensus, the very minimal consensus, is that the disciples did believe that they had seen a risen Jesus. Are we still uncomfortable? Good, I want you to be uncomfortable. I want you to be on the edge of your seat so you can see what we're going to be going through here. And for the eyewitnesses and the contemporaries of these events to be wrong, for the disciples to be wrong, for the New Testament writers to be wrong, for the people who came to know Christ as their personal Savior and they were willing to die for that truth, in order for them to be wrong, they would have truly had to have been deceived. And there has to be some other explanation for the resurrection. There has to be some other explanation for those 11 facts to be true if the resurrection, in fact, did not happen. So what do the skeptics say? So what do they say? What do you think? So what do the skeptics say about the resurrection? Well, we're going to go through a few different theories that are thrown out, the ones that are very common when it comes to the resurrection. They try to explain away the resurrection. How do we answer that? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to spend a few, few minutes talking about it. So how do, how do the skeptics explain away the resurrection? The first thing that we're going to talk about is the, I've got fat thumbs, there we go. It's the hallucination theory. A hallucination theory. Does that make sense? Is it possible? Do people have hallucinations? Yes. So they'll throw this theory up. It's possible that the New Testament writers, the disciples, had a hallucination. But were the disciples deceived by hallucinations is the question. I don't think so. Because this theory has a number of flaws, and we're going to talk about just two of them. The first thing is that hallucinations are not experienced by groups of people. They're experienced by individuals. They're a lot like dreams. If you had a friend come up to you today and say, wasn't that a great dream we had last night? Would you like to continue that dream tonight when we go to sleep? You're going to think that person is seriously mentally disturbed or they're really, really weird. Hallucinations don't happen in groups of people, okay? It happens with individuals. Yes, people do have hallucinations, and if the rare, if the rare psychological conditions exist, an individual will experience those hallucinations, but his friends will not. Even if they do have hallucinations standing right beside one another, it's very unlikely that they will have the same hallucination. Now, this theory doesn't work simply because Jesus didn't just appear to one person. That's how cults are started. Jesus appeared to multiple people. Jesus appeared over a dozen separate times in various places, in various settings, to different people over a 40-day period. It's very unlikely that everyone's hallucinated and saw the very same thing at those, at those different places. He was seen by men and women, over 500 of them to be exact. He was seen walking, he was seen talking, he was seen eating, he was seen, he was seen inside buildings, he was seen outside in the nature. And what they saw was not a ghost, it was not a hologram, it wasn't a projection or a reflection because on half of the occasions, six out of the 12 of the occasions, people actually physically touched him and he ate real food. Ghosts and hallucinations cannot do that. So does the hallucination theory work? Does it make any sense at all? Absolutely not. And whenever the hallucination theory gets passed on to you, we answer it just like this. The hallucination theory just doesn't work. Well, let's just give them that for a second. 
Right? All these 500 plus witnesses hallucinated they saw Jesus rise from the dead on 12 different occasions over a 40-day period. And they start preaching that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ has resurrected from the grave. I don't know if you remember or not, but within the, within the New Testament, we find out that the preaching of the resurrection caused quite a bit of problems for the Romans and the Jews. If someone's preaching the resurrection, these crazies, then they have hallucinated, the Romans and the Jews would have gone straight down to the tomb and removed Jesus' body, paraded him around Jerusalem, and stopped Christianity once and forever. So the hallucination theory just doesn't add up, does it? Are you starting to feel a little bit better? Yes. They would have loved to have been able to stop the Christians during the first century because it was causing them problems. They would have loved to do that, but they could not because the tomb was empty. Jesus' body was not there. Which brings us to the second theory that gets thrown out. They went to the wrong tomb. Those silly women. They didn't know what tomb to go to. When they went back to tell the disciples, they gave bad directions and they went to the wrong tomb again. So how does this wrong tomb theory hold up? So they went to the wrong tomb, they look at the tomb, it's empty. Well, Jesus must have risen. And then they go out and they start preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, too has, this also has two major flaws. If the disciples would have gone to the wrong tomb and started preaching the resurrection of Jesus, guess what would have happened? the Romans and the Jews would have gone to the right tomb and exposed Jesus' body to the public and stopped Christianity again. So in that face, it does not make sense. The Romans knew exactly what tomb it was. Why? Because they put two guards there to guard it. The Jews knew exactly where it was because the tomb belonged to um, Joseph of Arimathea, which he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He knew where it was. The Jews knew where it was. The, the disciples knew where it was. It was a known fact of where the tomb of Jesus would have been. In order for the wrong tomb theory to be true, everyone, the Romans, the Jews, and the, and the disciples would have had to have suffered a collective amnesia about where Jesus' body was laid. I just don't have enough faith to believe that. Not at all. Not even close. The empty tomb would not do that. And the second problem with this is, not only did everybody know where the body of Jesus was laid, even if, the, even if the disciples went to the wrong tomb, it doesn't explain the appearances of Jesus. Now we've got an empty tomb, we went to the wrong tomb, but it doesn't explain the fact that people saw Jesus walking around. The empty tomb, it didn't convince most of the disciples. It didn't convince them. What convinced them? The resurrected Jesus. The appearance of Jesus is what really transformed them the appearances of Jesus is what turned them from a scared, skeptical, scattered coward into the greatest peaceful missionary force in history. If you look back at your facts on numbers three and number six, it was the appearances. It was the, everybody agrees that the fact of the appearances is what changed the disciples. They saw a resurrected Jesus. And this is especially true with Saul of Tarsus, Right? How in the world do you think they could have convinced Saul by ambushing him on the, way to, on the way to Damascus that he, that somebody was Jesus and they resurrected? Could you, could you think about that one? So the bottom line is, is that the empty tomb does not explain um, why, the empty, why the tomb was empty, or the wrong tomb doesn't explain why the tomb was empty, and it's also not enough to disprove the resurrection. 
Any alternative theory to the resurrection must also explain away the appearances of Jesus and the fact that the tomb was empty. The wrong tomb theory does neither. So does the wrong tomb theory hold up? No, not at all. Not even close. Next, the apparent death or swoon theory. This says that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Then when he was put into the tomb, he was buried alive. That's what this theory tells us. He didn't really die, but he just went into a three-day coma. In other words, he was alive when he was put in the tomb. He escaped and he found the disciples and convinced them that he had risen from the dead, which caused them to go out and preach that Jesus Christ has risen. Now, there are several fatal flaws that go along with this. First, enemies and friends alike believed that Jesus was dead. That's the very first attested to fact that we talked about. That is, one, that is what is considered an indisputable fact, that Jesus was dead on that cross. His friends and enemies both believed, and it was confirmed. Now, the Romans, they were professional executors. They knew what it was. They knew what, it came, they, knew what they were doing when it came to torture and death. And the scourging and the crucifixion and the spear that Jesus suffered, many modern-day medical, um, uh, medical examiners would say that he was dead before he even got the spear. Jesus could not have suffered that. Now, whenever Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and he requested the body of Jesus, again, Pilate, he confirmed through his guards that Jesus was, in fact, dead before he turned him over. You'll find that in John chapter 19 and verse 40. His body was confirmed by Pilate before he turned it over to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus for the embalming. Third, even if, anyone, even if everyone was wrong about Jesus being dead, how could he survive three days with the wounds that he had suffered, the scourging, the crucifixion, and the spear? Okay, but let's, let's just give it to them for a second. All right, let's just say, okay, let's say he survived. So he was beaten, he was scourged, he was crucified, he suffered the spear, he was able to fool Pilate and the Roman soldier, and he lived for 36 hours in the tomb. Even if that happened, he would still have to come out of that tomb, right? He was embalmed with over 75 pounds of spices and bandages. He would have to escape and unwrap himself break through the barrier of the stone, defeat the Roman guards, and then go find the disciples. Does that make any sense? I don't think somebody very well could do that. So even if this happened, even if he actually made it to the disciples, he would have been a battered, bleeding pulp of a man whom the disciples probably would pity rather than worship. If you look at someone who suffered like that, he might say, well, you're alive, but I don't think you've really risen. Let's get you to a doctor. So the, so the apparent death or the swoon theory just doesn't hold up. You put a man in a tomb for three days in the condition in which he was, if he wasn't dead when he got there, he would be for certain dead three days later. Even if he did survive, it's impossible for him to get out and to do what he did. All right, we're starting to feel better about this. All right, we have a couple more. How many of you ever heard this one or heard this one? The disciples stole the body. Well, they had an agenda. They wanted, they wanted to make sure that, that nobody found the body of Jesus, so they stole the body, they hid it, and they started preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had an agenda to meet, and therefore they met it. They were able to do it. 
But I also want you to understand, this does not support nor get any support from anything that we've talked about before, right? And how, how so? See, this theory says, if they stole the body, that the New Testament writers and disciples, they were not deceived by hallucinations. They were not deceived by the wrong tomb. They were not deceived at the apparent death of Jesus. So therefore, they were not the ones who were deceived, but they are the ones causing the deception. Right? Because if they stole the dead body of Jesus and proclaiming the resurrected Jesus, then they are the ones who are lying. They're the ones who are not telling the truth. But does this actually make any sense? Does this theory hold water? Well, let's just see. Does it make any sense for them to do this? Why would anybody embark on such a self-defeating conspiracy? What good did this get them? For what benefit did they have for stealing the body and preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, the benefits were torture, getting beaten, getting displaced, getting martyred for that particular preaching. Now, last year we did talk about the fact that, yes, the disciples could lie. It's possible they did lie, but did they really lie? Would they have lied about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I asked the question last year, I'll ask it again. How many of you ever lied to make yourself look good okay if you're not raising your hand then you've done what you've just lied to make yourself look good no one will no one will lie to make themselves look bad and no one will lie that will get them something negative they will always lie to get themselves out of trouble they won't lie to get themselves into trouble which if they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it would have been a lie that really cost them a lot. You have to understand, these men were Jews. They already thought they were God's chosen people. It made no sense for them to say, well, well I'm sorry, the Jewish practices, that's, that's not good anymore. Jesus was the one who came and died for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he came back to life. And they're preaching this new religion. It doesn't make any sense for them to embark on such a conspiracy, especially for what it got him. And even in the face of being beaten and being tortured and being martyred, they continue to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's not one shred of evidence in all historical documents or any kind of antiquity that the disciples at all, any of them, recanted on what they believed that was a resurrected Jesus Christ. Even we see where Peter and John in the book of Acts, they were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop preaching that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And what they tell them? So you can do whatever you want to, but we can only preach about what we have seen and heard. People will die for what they believe to be true, but people will not die for what they know is false. The disciples of Jesus Christ had, had experienced the resurrected Jesus, and that is why they were willing to die for it. If they stole the body, you're going to find somebody in history that's going to recant. You cannot hold together a conspiracy like this without somebody saying it was all a lie. But the fact of the matter is, is they were transformed by the resurrected, the bodily resurrected Jesus Christ. But along with that, this also carries a lot of other absurdities. The disciples would have to get past the Roman guards. They were not equipped. They were not ready to be able to do something like that. And think about the appearances to Paul. 
Why did, why did Paul, you know, a couple of years later, get transformed by the, what he thought was the appearance of Jesus Christ if they had stolen the body? Think about what would have to have taken place. The disciples would have to ambush him on the way to Damascus with flashlights and voice synthesizers saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? But the reason why Paul was transformed, the reason why Paul became the foremost um, um, evangelist of the first century is because he believed that he had seen Jesus Christ walking around. He had met Jesus Christ. And if they had stolen the body, Paul's conversion would have never happened. It doesn't, expl- it doesn't explain the conversion of James or all of the other eyewitnesses. And this also means that all other Christian writers of the first century that corroborated what the New Testament story says would have all been lying as well. So does the fact that, or not the fact, does the theory that the disciples stole a body make any sense at all? Does it hold weight? No, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Do you know where the only record of a stolen body theory is recorded? There is. There is a stolen body theory that's recorded. It's even recorded in the first century. But it's by one of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. When the Jews made up the story to explain why Jesus' body was missing. Remember? They paid off the Roman soldiers. Said, look, just tell them that the disciples stole the body. Tell them the disciples stole the body and don't worry about, don't worry about your boss. We'll take care of them. Just say that someone stole the body of Jesus. But the main point of this, the main point of the stolen body theory, it's a tacit admission to what? That the tomb was really empty. The Jews had no idea where the body of Jesus went. They had no explanation for it. That's why they're having to put this stolen body theory before the people, is that the, Jew, or the, is that the disciples have stolen the body. So but the theory just does not, not hold up. The main point is, yes, that the tomb was really empty. And there's, several, there's a few more out there. You know, we'll just touch on those really quick. One, one is one that came around 600 years later in the Quran. And the Muslims believe that there was a substitute that went on the cross and Jesus is not the one that actually died. But this actually came 600 years after the fact, which that could definitely easily be, de- be declared as a legend. It is, done, it is done out of mere speculation without a shred of evidence to hold it up. Jesus was the one on that cross. If it wasn't, they would have had, they had the wrong guy from the time that they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane. No point could they have switched him out between the time he was arrested to the time that he was buried. Another one is the disciples' faith led to their belief. They already believed that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, so therefore their faith is what caused them to believe it. Well, that's absolutely not true. According to the biblical account, is that they didn't realize and understand that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. We understand that because they were scared, they ran, they were worried, and they were without hope after Jesus Christ was dead. They had gone back to their way of life, they were out. Jesus is dead. It was only until the resurrection of Jesus Christ was, was um, manifested before them that they became an, an incredible force of, uh, of, the, of the mission work. Now the res- so, so we can understand that the New Testament writers, they were not the ones that invented the resurrection, but it was the resurrection that created the New Testament writers. If the resurrection was not a fact of history, 
if they had not experienced the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, seeing Jesus alive, not one page of the New Testament would have been written. We wouldn't even have it. We might have stories of you know, fishermen who once were disciples of this legend named Jesus, but we certainly wouldn't have eyewitness testimony about him raising from the dead. So when it comes to the skeptics who try to explain away the resurrection, Gary Habermas says this, the skeptics must provide more than an alternative theory to the resurrection. They must provide first century evidence for those theories. You can make up any kind of theory you want, right? But if you don't have evidence to back that up that happens in the first century, then your theory does not hold water. So how can we answer, what is the, what's the common ground that will answer those 11 facts? What would be the best explanation? The hallucination theory doesn't work. No, that's out. The stolen body doesn't work. The wrong tomb doesn't work. The apparent death doesn't work. The substitution thing doesn't work. So what's the one thing that can answer those 11 facts? Is the fact that Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead. And he's alive today. With regard to the resurrection, all alternative theories have fatal flaws. The resurrection is the only explanation that will unify the facts that we listed in the beginning. Jesus is alive, folks. He is truly risen from the dead and alive today. So what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean if Jesus Christ truly is alive? That means that he is who he said he was and he did what he came to say that he was going to do. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins according to the scriptures. If that is true, that means that every single one of us are sinners. That means that every single one of us stand before an almighty powerful God who will judge us according to our actions and our sinful behavior if we try to approach him without going through his son Jesus Christ. We are all sinners in need of that savior. We stand before God guilty in need of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. If Jesus did in fact raise from the dead, he is who he says he was and he did what he came to do and he died for our sins. He was truly buried but I want you to understand if that's all that happened, if he just died and was buried, if that's all that happened, you are still dead in your sins. You, there is no payment for your sins. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, you might as well live this life to the best you possibly can, get all that you possibly can from this world because after death, you will face God and you will still be guilty in your sins and you will spend an eternity separated from God in hell if in fact Jesus has not risen. But believe what we've seen today, the fact of the matter is that Jesus has risen. Whenever he paid the price on the cross, he died in your place. He suffered the punishment. He suffered the sentence that you and I deserved. We deserved it because of our sinful behavior, our actions against the very nature of God and who he is and going against his law. And he punished his son, Jesus Christ, for what we did. And he died and he was buried. And God looked down and he saw his son, Jesus, and the, and the punishment that he suffered in our place. He said, you know what? That's good enough. It's perfect. As a matter of fact, the punishment that I just gave on my son covered everyone's sin. It covered your sin. He suffered it. Therefore, he raised him from the dead, showing that it was a good enough substitute. We have to understand, if Jesus truly has risen, that we can claim forgiveness, but only in Jesus Christ. 
If you'll come before God this morning knowing and understanding that you stand before him guilty and a sinner, and if you're willing to look at Jesus Christ and, 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 not, and, not, um, and look, look to Jesus Christ in repentance of your sin, cry out to God in forgiveness and trusting in the work that Jesus did on the cross, the Bible says that he will truly save you. But anything outside of that and you're on your own, you will not get to heaven. You will not have your sins forgiven without going through Jesus Christ. And because we know that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures, that we can be reconciled to God and be made right with him, that we can secure our eternal home with him. We can experience the grace that God is offering today, this morning. And if that is you, I pray that you will make that move now, even now, before it could be eternally too late. Christ truly is risen. Let's stand. Father, we want to thank you so much for this, this day. We thank you so much for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of the, of the early church who has paved the way for each and every one of us, Father, by preserving the truth of the gospel.